0: Welcome to Beneath the Rim, covering everything that's happening in and around the NBA. You're about to hear one of our layup episodes. Quick hits of information to keep you up to date on what's happening, but short enough to squeeze in during your morning drive. Check back on Sundays for the full court episode, where host Kevin Kloss chats with the brightest minds covering the league. Now time for the show. Welcome to Beneath the Rim, brought to you by rotoheat.com. I'm Kevin Kloss, and today we're going to continue our series, doing our team reviews, making our way through the NBA, and just tracking some comings and goings that have taken place this offseason, and we are going to do the Boston Celtics today. Oh, the Boston Celtics, they've been an episode in the making for well over a year now, so we're just going to get right into it. Two years ago, the Celtics were sort of the poster boys for what you can do when you build a young team through the draft and through spending your money wisely and accumulating assets and then trading those assets at the right time. You know, two years ago when we saw them in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that was without Kyrie Irving, that was without Gordon Hayward, The thought was, when we add these two perennial all-stars to this group of young, up-and-coming players, that this was going to be a team that really took off. And that is not what we got last season. Just taking a look, as we like to start with, take a look at the Celtics starters from last year. The most common starting lineup included Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and then Marcus Morris and Al Horford. Al Horford plays the five quite often, a little bit undersized for me as a five, but it worked with what Boston was trying to do, having Marcus Morris as someone who could spread the floor, playing power forward. Now this team just never really came together in the way that people thought it would. I think it's easy to say a lot of that was Kyrie Irving, and just the disruptive force that he was, both on and off the floor, As much as I will praise Kyrie Irving, and I have in the Nets episode we did on Wednesday for his ability to handle the ball and get to the rim, he's a phenomenal individual one-on-one player. He's not the best teammate in the world. And I think you saw a lot of that in Boston, that he kind of limited how much a lot of those young guys could grow, whether that was Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, We didn't see them at their full potential. And while that's not all on Kyrie Irving, I think it's foolish to not say that at least some of that is on Kyrie Irving. So he was a starter last season. But he wasn't the only reason that Boston failed to live up to expectations, even if Kyrie Irving was not in Boston last year. The Jason Tatum that we saw in that 2018 season was not the same one we saw in 2017, you know, when we talked about that Eastern Conference Finals run that Boston had without Irving and without Hayward, that was largely driven by what Jason Tatum was able to do. And I got into many arguments early on last season when the Lakers and Pelicans were first talking about trading for Anthony Davis and that the package from the Lakers was going to have to include Brandon Ingram And I would fight anybody who told me that they thought Brandon Ingram was better than Jason Tatum. You know, we saw Jason Tatum in 2017 basically go toe-to-toe with LeBron James in Game 7 and was just a few minutes away from taking his team to the NBA Finals. And really, if they'd fed the ball like I think most Boston fans wish they had to Tatum, there's a chance that Celtics would have been in the NBA Finals that year. Now, they didn't and they weren't. But even without that, the Jason Tatum we saw this past year was simply not the same player. Ended up taking a lot of three-point shots. Didn't get to the rim as much as Boston fans would have hoped they would. It's easy to say, according to you know some whispers, that Tatum was working with Kobe Bryant. So it's easy for Boston fans to just spew the hate for the Lakers and say that Kobe is the reason that Tatum was bad last year. Or not even bad, but just not the same player. And maybe some of that was because of the time he spent with Kobe Bryant. But for this team moving forward, they need 2017 Jason Tatum to come back. And they need that style. Obviously, an improved player, but they need that kind of attacking player back in 2019. You know, one of the other reasons that I think Boston fell short last year is simply Gordon Hayward wasn't going to be what they thought they were gonna get from him when he first signed. Unfortunately, at the very beginning of the season in 2017, he got hurt and what was just, just a ridiculous injury. And just gruesome if you watched it, gruesome if you rewatched it, just a horrible injury. I think if we all expected Hayward to be back at his normal self this quickly, that we were fooling ourselves. He was never gonna be back at that point this quickly, and he wasn't. And that's what, unfortunately, Boston needed. They needed someone like Hayward to be able to step up and fill in that gap when either it was Kyrie Irving not delivering or not playing, or Jason Tatum being unable to deliver. They needed Gordon Hayward at 100%, and he wasn't. Now, when we fast forward to 2019, and we're going to take a look at what we think is going to be the starting five in 2019. Well, Kyrie Irving's gone. He's been replaced with Kemba Walker. Now, I think Kemba Walker's a much better fit for what Boston wants to do. He may not be as good of a player as in a complete package as Kyrie Irving, but I think he's a better player for this team. I think Kemba Walker is hungry. After a number of years in Charlotte, not really amounting to much, I think Kemba Walker is hungry to play on a team that is dedicated to winning, and I think that's what they're going to have in Boston. Kemba can shoot the rock without any doubt. He's a good floor general. He'll push the pace in Boston. Just a great ad for the Celtics to have Kemba Walker there. Not a knock on Kyrie Irving. Just really a testament to the player I think Kemba Walker has become. Jalen Brown I think is going to get that started two, And this is interesting to me because I actually like the Jalen Brown potential. I don't like the value that some Boston fans have put on Jalen Brown now. It's just some of the trades that I've heard that they think they could make with Jalen Brown seem a bit out of range for me. I think if if you're thinking you could have gotten a top three pick in this past year's draft for Jalen Brown, I think that's crazy. I think if that happens, someone who has the three pick is trading for Jalen Brown's potential and not what he's done so far. But I really like Jalen Brown. I like the skill set. And I like if he can play shooting guard next to Kemba Walker, I think he's got a chance to show what he can do. Now, if he's playing the two, that means hopefully at the three, we get the Gordon Hayward that Celtic fans were hoping for last year. Gordon Hayward, to me, is a player that when he's right, he can be up the playmaking wing like we saw in Utah. He can be someone who you can run in isolation, and he's more than capable of getting his own shot. And the other thing is, he's just a smart basketball player. So, he will move without the ball. He'll set the screens. He'll crash the boards. A great player to have on a team that's trying to establish winning culture with some young players like the ones we've mentioned so far. For Gordon Hayward, it's not about talent. It's more about where is he physically. Can he get back to where he was pre-injury? And if he can't, if he's just never 100% the same guy, then the question has to be, can he at least get close? Now, if he can get close, that's going to help this next guy who I think they're going to slot in to play the four, and that's Jason Tatum. I alluded to it before i just think the world of jason tatum i think he just has the possibility to become such a dominant scoring wing who can he's a wing who could play the three he could play the four. so i think they're going to slot him in there and he's a guy that if if brad stevens is the coach we all believe he is and can get him to do the things he has to do to excel as a player i mean he is a perennial all-star in the making He's the kind of guy who there's no reason he shouldn't be able to average you 25 a night if he's able to get his head on straight, get a feel for the game, and just work within the confines of the system. Really, you know, and 25 is what I'm saying right there is consistently, but the sky's the limit for Jason Tatum if he's approaching the game in the right way. And then starting center, and I loved this move, and that's Enos Cantor. You know, after the Celtics knew they were going to lose, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, those were the two big questions, is what are the Celtics going to do at the point and at the five? If they weren't able to really address either of those issues, like if they had run back Terry Rozier and they had just brought in a below average starting center, I would not have been wild about the Boston Celtics. In fact, I might have thought that they were potentially set on course for a bit of a decline. But Kemba Walker I think is phenomenal, as I said. And I think on this team, I think Enos Cantor is going to be great. You know, Brad Stevens is an amazing coach, preaches an emphasis on ball movement, but also on toughness and defense. Enos Cantor does not give you defense. It's just a fact. But if as a team, Brad Stevens is a good enough coach to mask that defensive weakness and can really get the most out of him as a defender, Enos Cantor is a more than capable rebounder and scorer you know he was part of a Knicks team last year that it was bad it was really bad in New York but before they seemingly just stopped playing Enos Cantor he was routinely getting you 20 and 10 a night on a terrible Knicks team on a Celtics team he is going to get better looks Because the guys playing around him, there was nothing close to Tatum, Hayward, Brown, and Kemba Walker when he was in New York. So he's going to get better looks. And the fact of the matter is, he's just playing with better players. And the kind of shots that are going to go up are going to be better. So maybe his numbers for rebounding were a tad inflated when he was in New York. But in terms of adding a 5, relatively cheap, the Boston Celtics could have done much worse than Enos Kanter. And this five, when I look at Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Enos Cantor, if all five of those guys are healthy and right and playing in the system, that is a deadly starting five, just from an offensive perspective. And, you know, it doesn't end there. They have a handful of rookies. I was a little confused by the constant trading down they kept doing, but in the end, it all made sense knowing they were just clearing more space to make the kind of moves that they needed to make. They got Romeo Langford in the first round who I love that kid out of Indiana had a wrist injury or rather a thumb injury That really affected his three-point shooting and his free-throw shooting. He's never gonna be a great three-point shooter The mechanics are a little off but in high school He was a much better three-point shooter and that's part of the reason he sat out summer league was because he wanted to get that thumb Right. I love Romeo Langford. I think he's got an amazing motor to me. He's Dwayne Wade-esque just in the sense of Dwayne Wade not a great three-point shooter, but had great body control, could get to the rim, could finish at the rim, and those are some of the things I think Langford's going to excel at. I don't think he's Dwayne Wade, I just see some similarities in terms of how he's going to be successful in the league. Now we said Langford didn't play in summer league. One guy who did, who I've just been raving about, is Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards averaged 20 at Purdue and could have gone back for more time in college. But instead, you know, he tested the waters. I don't know if he thought he was going to be a first-round pick. I'm not sure if that's the information he got. He didn't end up being a first-round pick, ended up going in the second. But Carson Edwards in summer league was showing the Celtics, this guy's a scoring machine, more than capable three-point shooter, playmaker at the point. He's not going to start. He's not going to start in a Celtics team that has. Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. But Carson Edwards, if he scores like he's shown he can do in Summer League, he's going to get plenty of action and down the stretch throughout their regular season when injuries come up, when all of a sudden you find yourself in a dogfight and you need to turn to the bench for some added scoring punch. Carson Edwards is your guy and I think he's going to be a great player for them this season. Really impressed with that pick. Also added Grant Williams in the draft out of Tennessee. His profile is a bit odd for me. Seems a little bit like he lacks a position in the NBA. But if there's a coach who's going to be able to get the most out of Grant Williams, to me, it's Brad Stevens. Now, some things to keep an eye on when we think about Boston this year is, you know, they do have that Memphis pick. That Memphis pick still has some protections around it. Danny Ainge really hasn't unloaded in terms of trades in the way that we thought he was going to, and he had that war chest of picks. He still has that Memphis pick. I would not be shocked if that Memphis pick is moved sometime this year to add one more guy if Boston thinks they can make make a run at the East. And something else that I've heard a lot so far in the last couple weeks, and I think you're just going to hear more of it, is the potential that Boston could move Gordon Hayward. Now, he hasn't played that much for the Celtics combining the year he missed during injury and then last year still kind of working himself back into shape. But already you're hearing some rumblings about where could Gordon Hayward potentially be moved. Cleveland for Kevin Love has been mentioned. Orlando, including a package for Aaron Gordon, has been mentioned. Those don't strike me as straight-up deals, but in trades that where you send out Hayward, those are the kind of guys you could get back. So for the Celtics, that's just something to keep in mind as the season progresses. You know, if you see a lot of growth from Jalen Brown, from Jason Tatum if Romeo Langford is really excelling off the bench. If they want to give Sammy Ogilvy maybe a little more run if they see him developing, I could see a world where they move Gordon Hayward if they think they can add a piece like a Kevin Love, like an Aaron Gordon, and maybe they get a secondary piece in that trade as well. So just some things to keep an eye on. The Celtics, though, while I wouldn't have believed this maybe a month ago, the Celtics look like a team that are going to be a big pain for the other teams in the Eastern Conference. I don't see any reason they couldn't compete with the likes of Philadelphia and potentially be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, good job, Celtics. Celtic fans, keep your chin up. It's going to be a good year for you ahead. And that's going to do it for our review of what the Boston Celtics have done this offseason. And just as a reminder, I'll be coming back on Sunday with our full court episode when we'll be talking with Taylor Cornell. He and I will be going over what we think were some of our favorite moves in free agency, what some of our least favorite moves were. We'll grade some trades, including the Paul George trade and the Russell Westbrook trade. And we'll look at some steals from this past June's draft. So make sure to join us for that episode. That's Sunday on the full court episode. Until next time, I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening. Don't miss a moment of the action. Subscribe to Beneath the Rim for automatic delivery of new episodes in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.